Hello there, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and we're at the end of the fucking decade. Woo! It's the end of the decade as we understand it. Yeah, I mean, as most people would understand it, <laughs> it is the end of the decade. Um, yeah, so... So, well, what is, what, what is, so What's so, the decade mean to you? What have the last two decades meant to you? Well, nothing. Two decades? I mean, the first decade, nothing, and then the second decade, I had kids. So it means having kids. So the first decade, nothing. And the second decade for me, also nothing. Because I have no children. You're lucky. You're very lucky. I graduated college. We both graduated college in these decades. Yeah. I did it first, though. That's true. (laughs) That's true. But now you're getting your master's degree, so you're kind of beating me there. It's all right. Well, next decade, then I have to get the next degree. That's true. We'll just keep one-upping each other until we're dead. This, This podcast will just be about us. Trying to shame each other at, into getting more degrees. At 60, you'll just be like, hi, I'm Dr. <laughs> Tom Nolan, PhD, PsyD. And I'm Mario Ponzio, JD, LLB, LL Bean, Patagonia. That'd be my new last name. You have a, a doctorate in outerwear. This dec- These 20 years began with a president entering his last year as an, an impeached person. And this decade maybe ends with... The president entering his last year as an impeached person? Yeah. I mean, Clinton was impeached in December of 98, so he had a full year in the 90s to be mm-hmm. impeached. But his last year of the presidency was in If you are going to get impeached, you want to do it in a year when you don't have to run for your election. But I feel like we should Unless not... Last year. I feel like we should Unless not talk about Trump in this Donald episode. Donald Trump. Um, but most people have been talking about the top movies of... Oh, you got the, you got your, your printouts all there and go, you know, for the decade. But you know what? We're not going to do that. No. We're taking we're gonna, a, we're, we're we're a page guys, out of Richard Brody's playbook. We didn't give you guys the top of the thousands because we didn't know each other at the beginning of this decade. We met That's at true. the beginning of this decade. Another one. Like in June of 2010. Um, wow, we've known each other for almost 10 years. Yeah. That's crazy. You need to end this friendship. It's too long. <laughs> it is very long. Podcast over. Um, so we're going to do our top 20 of the past 20 years. If you hear a voice in the background angrily screaming, and by that I mean like kind of quietly saying something, it's our friend JP. He'll probably maybe pop in with some ideas at times, or not. Most likely not. You let, you, let, you let us know, JP. Some muttering. Yeah, what you, you just, want to do? You just grab my microphone, spit some rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> let, me get my, let me get my bourbon out before you do anything crazy. It's a lot of bourbon. That's too much bourbon, Mario. It's a lot of so, ice also. So We have 20 movies. This is going to be two episodes, but I have a bad feeling about this, that it's going to be long ones. That's what uh, Lando just said. I think, I think this might be the end of the podcast, because some of the movies on my list, I don't think anyone's going to make you angry. But I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even... Some of my exclusions will make you angry, you and I think some are, of my top ones will make you you're angry. You're pitching this in a way that I don't understand. I, I thought I understood what was going to be try, on your I'm list, to build up, and I'm then I started asking you questions, and you're just like, nope. And I'm just like, well, now I don't know what's going to be on there. No Country for Old Men? Does not make my list at Me all. Me neither. Yeah. There's some movies. I will say this. My, in my top ten, there are only three movies that are on that are crossovers to my pivotal films. So let's let's talk about this really quickly. I we're trying to do the best movies. We're not trying to say the movies that are pivotal to me. I tried to do the movies that I felt were objectively the best and yeah. also had a real cultural relevance. I so so there's there's there be a there's a divide right there. So I also tried to do objectively the best but i try to stay 
and we're gonna post we're gonna post blurbs um on the website and we'll link to them on our twitter um when as we release these episodes and i kind of explain this a little bit in my opening um one page short essay about it um <clears throat> i tried to stay from a film perspective, not maybe not so much from a cultural perspective. I really don't deal with culture at all. There was a couple of times when I felt compelled to go to culture, and I really didn't. So the movies that are on my list really have nothing to do with influence or anything like that. It's I. They're all superhero movies. I set, I set a lay. I set a. I, I got one. I got one. I had a set of parameters that I was working with, and then, um, uh, and that had a lot to do with 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 film as an art form, um, with the moving picture as an art form. And I went from there and then I, I kind of built my list up. So, um, but we're, you know, we'll talk more about it as we, as we go through our list, like how we kind of got to where we are, but Mario's going to flip a coin to see who goes I got, first. I got the quarter Wait, quick, real quick. The year is the year of this quarter is, I don't know, man. It doesn't have the year. There's no year. It's, in it's that a quarter. newer one. It's from the future. It's, Oh shit! This is a 2019 coin. Uh, is Trump on it? No, it says it's the War in the Pacific coin. Oh sure. Um, are we gonna a, are we gonna snake you? So no, we're gonna flip each each time. Each we're gonna time. flip, okay. and the person who wins the flip gets to choose who goes. What? Why? That's stupid. Let's just nope. That's what. That's the way it's gonna wait, go. I have to wait. So I'm picking. You're gonna call it the first time. Then you're gonna flip it. So we're gonna go back and forth. Oh, okay. The person who's not flipping, I will flip it first. Okay. Heads. <laughs> what are, what are so, tails. Oh. tails? Uh, I will go first. Okay, go ahead. My number 20 comes from a, the year long ago when President Barack Obama was president. The world looked hopeful. But in this film, the world did not look hopeful. As a matter of fact, it looked like it was on the edge of death, the edge of hope. Oh my God. The edge of tomorrow. What I am about to tell you sounds crazy. But you have to listen to me. Your very lives depend on it. This does not be bad. You see, this isn't the first time. Now, we've had this conversation. Okay, explain yourself. Edge of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow, the Doug I didn't Lyman. think Adam Emily Blunt was going to appear on this <laughs> list at all. I'm not sure of that. I told you, you're going to be mad. Edge of Tomorrow? Okay. The 20th best film of the past 20 years, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Um... This is a film where <laughs> Tom Cruise has Major William Cage, uh, who is a kind of, you know, higher up um, in the military uh, during an alien invasion that has been taking over the world. Uh, they, you know, no matter what people try to do, they can't seem to beat these aliens. Uh, he is, you know, combat adverse. However, he is forced by General Brigham, uh, Brendan Gleeson, to join the front battle during a D-Day type invasion. Uh, he does so, um, is almost immediately killed, but as he's being killed, he's covered in the alien's blood and ends up in a time loop 
living each day sure. over and over again, a Groundhog Day situation. Uh, he meets, you know, Sergeant Rita, uh, the angel of Verdun, who is Emily Blunt, who also had the same experience. Uh, they uh, try to navigate their way to figure out the Alpha, yeah. or, um, that's right, it's the Omega, in order to defeat this to end the war. Uh, this is just, to me, the perfect action film. This is the quintessential action this film. This is the action film you were talking about? Of the about? past 20 years. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's major personal biases in this. We talked in episode zero about how much I love a time loop. Was this, I, how, where, can I ask you a question real quick? Was this on your one whatever? Well, this is my, this is my 150s, yeah. It is in your 150s. It's, it's like one. Not relevant. Just curious. No. Um, there is an incredible uh, just amount of charisma between Emily Blunt and, and Tom Cruise in this. All the performances are incredibly strong. But I just think this is the movie I keep coming back to, and I feel good experiencing it. It's a fun movie. It's it's like the very definition of a popcorn film, but it's so strong in terms of its action sequences, in terms of always keeping the stakes at you know just that right level. This is you know even more so like what Doug Liman did previously with the Bourne movies or whatnot. Because I think Paul Greengrass ends up doing a much better job with the Bourne movies. Um, he's just able to maintain a consistent pace and just keep you excited and <clears throat> enthralled. It's just a really good time. To be fair, I we You've talked, seen this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, talk, we talked off air about my number 20. And my number 20 for a long time was going to be uh, the 2004 movie, I believe. Uh, Peter Weir film, Master and Commander. For roughly the same reason that you had Edge of Tomorrow on your list, where I felt like the action movie was kind of the quintessential film of of the century, you know what I mean? Um, it became the comic book movie later, I guess, but, you know, the the blockbuster film, and there was no better blockbuster film to me than Master and Commander. It's just, you know, it's huge, it's well done. Russell Crowe is at his post-Gladiator most charismatic that he's was was ever. Um, and just, like, carried the shit out of the movie. So I understand the inclination to put that there. My number 20 is, oh, is also an action movie in that there's no action in it. And it is a film by Claire Denis, 35 Shots of Rum. Uh, barely missed my list. Which is interesting, because I thought that was the one that you had to freak out about. Um, Lionel is a widower living in um, Paris. Paris? Yeah, Paris. And Josephine's his daughter. And uh, we've talked about 35 Shots of Rum. You can listen to our Claire Denis episode. While drinking shots of rum. It was you a bad can, idea. Um, did we finish that bottle that night? That was a bad idea. We didn't do anything. I had one shot, so... I had one shot of rum. When we did 35 shots of rum. Oh, I... You drank a lot of rum. It was a three-hour episode. It was long. We had to stay warm. It was cold that night. Um, no, it wasn't. It's summer. Shh. It was cold. <laughs> no, it was, it was May. It was May, yeah. To quote A Miracle on 34th Street, a man has to do something to keep warm, Mario. Um, there's going to be another Claire Denis movie on my list. I suppose I could have put, made my whole list Claire Denis movies if I wanted to, if this was... You know, included the 90s also would have just been a whole list of Claire Denis movies. Has she made 20 movies? 
I don't know, but I would put them all on here. Um, it is, from an entry point perspective, I don't know how you feel about this entry point perspective. 35 Shots of Rum is a good spot to enter in because you get all the classic Denis things. You get a Tinderstick score. You get a um, Godard cinematography. You get all the things that kind of mean anything to Claire Denis. Um, you know, relationships, um, the kind of the everyday life, you, you know, going about. And then her mining metaphors from the everyday life. When I went back to watch this for this list, the thing that really stuck out to me that I thought was really masterful, and one of the reasons that's on here is, um, and I'm I'm doing I'm currently reading for actually when this airs I will be I will be doing my master's like I'll be doing a whole bunch of master stuff on like craft like writing craft and, and using metaphor and, and constructing narratives and things like this. The 35 shots of rum as an image and as a metaphor, um, I find really kind of amazing um, in that it seems to be... So one of the reasons that you go to this movie, one of the reasons it's the top 20, like the objectively of all time, or of the last 20 years, I think, is um, its use of metaphor and its use of image. It's such a simple movie. It doesn't do anything like even vaguely ostentatious. All the performances are good. Um, everything's good about it, but it has this foundational image, this foundational symbol, this foundational metaphor um, that bookends it where in the beginning of the movie Lionel goes to a retirement party for a friend and some guy is drinking the 35 shots of rum and at the end of the movie Lionel drinks the 35 shots of rum and it kind of seems like it's being it signifies an ending of some kind but I think upon further watching Claire Denis is so clever and so graceful at this stuff. Instead of signifying an ending, I actually think now it really signifies a transition. A transition that you can't come back from. It, it symbolizes a breaking point. And if... Denis, Denis is like a visual master. Um, but the, the 35 shots of rum in and of themselves is so, so deep and so profound an image. Um... That I think it's it's in every single one of the movies on my list. There's a th there's one thing. There's one thing, and I'm not always going to point it out. And you're going to have to go watch some of them. And some of them I'm going to point out in my blurbs. I'm going to post on the internet. But the 35 drops of rum is one of the great the great metaphors, the great symbols of the last 20 years for sure. Where's the coin? So you're going to call it, and then whoever gets it right gets to pick what happens next. Yep. Tails. What's that? That's, That's tails. a tail. That's a tail. What is that? It's the war in the Pacific. Oh, it's a it's a soldier. I will go first again. This is heavily detailed. Okay, good. You ahead. know why? Because you were asking about the war in the Pacific. And my movie deals with the inevitability, potentially, of war. The possibility that war could be coming. Or maybe not. Who knows? Maybe we're just going to argue about it as a bunch of politicians and kind of curse at each other as Peter Capaldi screams at you. Because uh -huh. my number 19 is 2009's um, Armando Iannucci film, In the Loop. Is war unforeseeable, Minister? Look, for the plane in the fog, um, the mountain is un unforeseeable, but then it is suddenly very real and 
unforeseeable. Thank you so much. He did not say unforeseeable. You may have heard him say that, but he did not say that. I don't think war is unforeseeable. What is it then? I don't know. Foreseeable? No. No! Wars do sometimes work. Uh, fucking a good screenplay is, is almost anything, the only thing I need in, in a movie. Um, and this is, for me, maybe the second best screenplay of the past 20 years. It is incredibly <clears throat> clever, um, fast-witted. Uh, it just basically deals with... The plot of this film doesn't matter. If you've seen Veep or you've seen Death of Stalin, you know that the general concept of it. It, it just deals with a uh, minister uh, for international development kind of misspeaking about mm-hmm. a, an inevitability of a war and the kind of like the crescendoing like arguments that go on between UK and US diplomats as a result of mm-hmm. that. Um, but it is, it is spitfire sort of fast-paced humor um, that's just always clever peter capaldi this is my introduction to peter capaldi and now i've kind of become a, a peter capaldi acolyte uh <laughs> in the sense that does he, he have many of those might be i mean he was he was doctor he was like the 13th 12th doctor or whatever oh, so i'm sure he so, yeah. does now um but his you know malcolm tucker uh who's from the thick of it uh this is actually a spin-off of the bbc show thick of it well um, you're a british you're a british yeah, like the Grand Lissacum the Grand yeah. shows are things I love. Yeah. And you know, I wasn't familiar at all really with the thick of it or this. Like my introduction to this was its nomination for Best Original Screenplay um in two thousand nine. Um but it's just it have you have you seen this? Yeah, one this is again I mean, because I don't yeah, it was the introduction was best original screenplay, but I thought the introduction for most people was it's a, the Gandolfini movie. Yeah, but I I didn't care at all. But at the t- at the time, it was like a huge thing. Like Gandolfini is making this this movie. Like, what is what does this mean? It wasn't because of um, Anna Klumski being in it. No, <laughs> you were like, oh, my it girl's wasn't. in this. No, remember, I mean, even which would like, lead actually to her being cast funny, in it's, Veep. This is a totally separate. Con- which I I hate Veep. By the way, I just wanted to put that out there. I, Veep kind of stinks. So when you were talking about Hellboy last week. I feel that way about Veep is that it's just too mean. Yeah, no, I, I just agree. I don't enjoy it. There's and there, but there's like a yeah, and I think that's the thing about that. Like this is this is a mean movie in many ways, but there's a certain sort of energy and charisma to it. Sure, yeah, 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 that like Julie Louise Dreyfus is just not able to convey. Like she just comes off as a monster, whereas Tucker, you know, the Peter Capaldi character is a monster, but he's so. Capaldi's just so energetic in that role that it's just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a similar kind of performance that has a lot of meanness to it that is is on the same level on my list um, from a not actually that good of an actor. But, he, you know, when you are mean but have the charisma to be mean, like, you can do it well. And this is just, like, everything about this, this is just so repeatable. And I think this was, like, kind of the world's introduction kind of yeah, yeah, to yeah. Inucci, And mm-hmm. that would lead to Veep and that would lead to, like, Death of Stalin um, and it's leading to personal history of David Copperfield and kind of like now this is the introduction that's kind of led to this like really rapid fire dialogue but clever and smart but you know just fantastical in, in, in the world of which it exists but still ultimately 
pretty believable. Well, there's an expectation now. When I yeah. Anucci releases a new movie, you know what it's going to be. And I'm actually interested to find out if, like, maybe he subverts that a little bit with this new movie. For personal history, yeah. Yeah, because... Um, the, the, the earlier Stalin reviews was... seem to be stolid. Good. I mean, that's something to look forward to next year. So, um, interestingly enough, my number 19 has no, has no screenplay um, to speak of at all. Um, my number 19 is from 2017. Uh, it is the last film by... What are you doing? Oh, you're stealing the quarter. Um, from Iranian filmmaker um, Abbas Kirastrami, um, who did Certified Copy, who like, which is a film that's on everybody's like best I've, of the last whatever. I have not seen Certified Copy. It's a Juliet Binoche film. Um, the film is 24 frames. I would put a clip here, but there's nothing, there's nothing to put. Um, I, have not, I have not seen this. It was... On my radar because I just read a lot of shit, and I saw that this movie was coming out, and I saw that there was a, some guy was releasing a movie um, where he animated twenty-four still frames, um, either photographs that he took or, or, or meaningful like images to him, um, and in this. It's a, it's a film. It's like an hour and however many minutes long. It's on Criterion now. That was like the first place I, I, I saw it. It was actually one of the... I don't buy a lot of Criterions anymore because as, as I've documented on this, this podcast, I used to have a problem. And there's now a channel. My name is Tom. I have a Criterion. I have a Criterion problem. And but there's this, a channel for that. Now. Right. Um, but this is one of the DVDs I bought. This is one of the DVDs that I own. It is uh, 24 individual images that um, have been animated for four to however many minutes um, of things just happening within these frames. And these aren't things that, like, they're not outlandish things. They're not, uh, you know, in um, a lot of snow. And this is on the Criterion channel. Yeah, it's on right now. Uh, uh, A lot of snow-covered fields and things like that. You're not going to see, like, an alien come in and, like, light a bunch of things on fire or whatever like that. It's just very simple things. It is... One of the best definitions I feel like of what film like is like the 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 intersection between film photography and reality is is really kind of brought to bear here. There is a when you first watch it, there's a there's a, a sense of um, like a screensaver quality to some of these things, but it's very hypnotic. It's me- very meditative. Um, where every time the 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 frame that he's presenting you with at first starts moving, it just seems like a fucking miracle because it doesn't seem like this is going to happen. It's just it's just a it's just a frame. It's just an image, and then it just kind of comes to life. I've talked about this story a lot of times on the podcast. Maybe not a lot of times, but definitely I've talked about it. Um, a precursor to cinema by Stephen Milhauser where um, this painter this painter belongs to this group of um, uh, painters, the verisimilists, that um, paint things that look real. And he develops this painting style where the people that look at it feel like the image is moving. 
and the image is actually moving. Like there's a you know it's written as like almost kind of like a magazine piece where like people actually see this this the waves crashing or this fly moving around. It's like early early twentieth century stuff. Um, and I've always I, it's one of my favorite pieces of writing ever. And this movie goes along. This film goes along directly with that, where it is. You can see it happening, but it almost seems like it's not happening. Um, and it is it is a little piece of film magic, and it is great. And I recommend everyone just try their hardest to spend like the hour plus to just sit with this thing and just think about it. It's just it's fantastic. What's it's amazing. Is I don't think I've ever heard you talk about this movie before because it's mine. It's my. I yeah. have I have a problem, and you can talk with my wife about this. Things that are mine don't get out, and it's not. The, pro- the reason it's not on my pivotal film list is because it, I don't think of it as a film per se. It aligns to a lot of my thinking about art and, and literature more than it does film. But when, if we're making objective list of like the 20 best films of the last 20 years, like this has I take this over like lots of other stuff because yeah. it's, it's just breaking everything that film is now. It's just like fucking breaking it apart. So one of the things that I couldn't put on my list because there's no way to put it on my list is like the by brackage collection on criterion because Stan Brackage is like my fucking hero. Um, he, him with Pollard also just took an art form and just like crushed it and just did whatever he wanted with it. Um, so he made the dog star, um, short film. He just is an experimental filmmaker. Um, and that stuff, I just love that stuff. And so we're going to, I, I needed it to be, rep- I needed this film to be represented here. Like just, it just had to be. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm going to be honest. One of the things I really love just about this podcast is I had not even heard about this movie until you just mentioned it. Well, I just, it's one of the things that happens when you have kids. I heard a certified copy, but not this. Sure. One of the things that happens when you have kids is that you don't stop, especially with phones, is you don't stop reading about stuff that you love. You know what I mean? And so I just never stopped reading. I never, I didn't, like 2017, a lot of the films that I saw, I didn't go out and see them. I just waited until they came on Amazon or or whatever um, and just watched them then and just paid $14 to own it. Like I own Florida Project, which is awesome. I love Florida Project. I'm a pitiful filmist. But at the time, I didn't want yeah, to own Florida Project. Florida Project almost was I, in my 30s. Oh, it's me this. too. I own Shape of Water. I don't want to own Shape of Water. But it was the only way that I could see it. Yeah, I also own Shape of Water because Jordan, our friend Jordan, who was here for one episode, wanted to see it. And I was just like, okay, I'll just buy it. Yeah. Now I see it's on my Amazon like buy list. I'm I know. Like, Bums me out. Ugh. Bums me out every time. But I will Things you watch. do. Things you do. When you don't have a podcast, but you know that a podcast is in your future. Okay, flip it. Oh, shit. Ready? Call yeah, it. I'm ready. Wait, no, you got... Oh, I got to call. I was going to call it just now. Yeah, that's fine. If you haven't seen it. Heads. Tails. You're... I'm cool. bad at this. Three for three. Uh, I've gone first the last two times, so uh, let's snake this. Then you go You go first this okay, time. Okay, my uh, number 18 is... A movie you've talked about already. I won't spend a ton of time on it. I'll just explain why it's my number 18. It is the uh, only Coen Brothers movie on my list. Mm-hmm. You got you got any? Oh, he's not saying? I have zero. Oh, you're zero? I have it is no Coen Brothers movies on my list. The 2013 film Inside Lewin Davis.
If I had wings like Noah's dove, I'd fly the river to the one I love. Oh, fare thee well, my honey, fare thee well. That was the one Coen Brothers movie that was 20, is 21. Okay. Um, the only reason this movie is on my list has very little to do with the Coen Brothers. It is because this, I think, Oscar Isaac as Lewin Davis is the single best performance in the last 20 years on film. Um, I've got a list. Like, when you read my blurbs, you'll be able to pick out like what the performances are. You can make a top 10 list if you want. I mention them all. This is this is number one. My he, eleven and four are my top perform or their okay. performances. He goes my four for more than performances, but to a place that that's not a trance. It's not a Daniel Day Lewis thing. It's he the depth of sadness of of actual existential human sadness exhibited in this movie is just unbelievable. Um, and again, this is another Coen Brothers movie where I'm, I think they thought they were making a different movie, and then they cast this miracle actor in it, and he just brought some a depth to it that um, counteracted all the Coen Brothers stuff that they were trying to put on top of it. And not only that, it like elevated it. So we're in No Country for Old Men. We talked about this um, a couple weeks ago. It created a separation. It created a separation between like the amazing things that were happening and then the Coen Brothers things that were happening. This he elevates everything to a level where you think everything means something. John Goodman is great. I have no idea what John Goodman's character represents in this movie, but based on Oscar Isaac's reaction to everything he does, I know it's got to represent something. You know what I mean? Mm. The Bob Dylan thing at the end of this movie is is historically important. It is existentially important because of the way that Oscar Isaac's Lewin Davis reacts to it. Um, I don't see any other... I mean, it's a, it's a great movie. It's a pivotal movie um, for a lot of reasons that we talked about already. But from a top 20 of the, of the last 20 years perspective, it is an Oscar Isaac. Like, just, destroy, just destroying it in this movie. So... You know, we don't just listen to that episode if you want to like do a deep dive into Inside Lewin Davis. Um, Eighteen. Opposite to that, uh, a movie that rests now at my eighteen is is the one or two films that are here because of the fact that it just it warms me and they feel it feels like such a good time. Um, it is the most recent film on my list from twenty eighteen, um, and it is the movie I've watched the most. Uh, from 2018 I've watched it eight or nine times now because every time I watch it I fucking have a really good time with it it's just it's so much fun it's so energetic it's so pretty to look at you could turn off the sound and just watch it and you could you know but when you even have the sound on it's great too because all the music in this is a lot of fun I have one of the main songs from it on my workout playlist. I think you can almost guess which movie it is from what I'm saying right now. I think I'm going... I want to, but I want you to say it because I feel like I'm going to be wrong. It is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like, what's up, danger? Can't stop me now! I 
That is my 15. Oh, well, just spoiling. <laughs> no, but we have to. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll just say, like, like my little burb on it, we'll talk about more in a bit. Um, we don't have to talk about it. We can talk about it now. No, let's talk about, let's, I think when it's higher, you sure? is, yeah, okay. it's more important. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I will briefly just say, uh, just for conservation of time, um, that it is just a kinetic energy. It is the perfect superhero film. It is the quintessential superhero movie of the past whatever, forever. It is everything. As a person who's not a big comic book fan, but knows comic book people, I, I sat next to several of my friends at different times because I just had, I, this is like the one movie um, besides like It Follows, but It Follows is a personal reason. It, doesn't, it Follows is not on my list, which made me sad, um, but it is on my pivotal list, so we'll be talking about It Follows. Um, it is a movie that I have to keep showing people. I have to keep having them experience it. Yeah. And the people who are comic book people I will turn to them at random points just to see them watching it, and their mouths are open mm-hmm. just because it is a living comic book film. Oh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that a little more as when we get to our 50. You want to? No, no, the, the graphics in it are incredible. Yeah. It's so good. It's fantastic. All right, I'm flipping. If, think, if you think about, think about your opinions when you get to 15, because we'll talk about it again. Mario, where's the coin? You got it? No, I put it back. I give it to you. Did I put it in my pocket? What is this? The star. You need a coin, though. I don't have. Where's the quarter? Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna pause. Where it is? Where is it? It's on the ground. This is good. This is good. Time spent (coughs) on an already long episode. All right, number seventeen coming up. Who's going to go first? Mario, call it. Heads. It's heads. This is this is bad for you, huh? Who's going first? Uh, I'll go first. All right, go ahead. This time. Um, you mentioned earlier. 35 Shots of Rum, and I said that that was a Claire Denis movie that almost made my list, Uh huh. but it didn't, Okay. because this Claire Denis movie, it, actually, they have no, I, I didn't just limit it to one Claire Denis movie, but this is the Claire Denis movie that really, I feel, was the quintessential perfect like, cold distillation of her works. Uh-huh. It is the 2009 White Material. I, don't, I always pause now because I expect you to put a clip in. I don't. I, I didn't know it was going to be on your list. So I <laughs> yeah, no, no. I couldn't bring clips. But I just naturally do a pause. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Maria is just. Oh, we talked about this as I said. Uh, Maria, played by expertly by Isabel Hooper, is um, a French farmer, on a, just a struggling coffee plantation. Um, in an African country. I don't think we ever learn the name of the African It's unnamed. Country. Yeah. The conflict is unnamed and the, the place is unnamed. And there is a ongoing, as you said, it's kind of civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just kind of trying to deal with that. And the world around her is falling apart. And, um, you know, Claire Denis had made a lot of films that dealt with that her time spent in Africa and um, like cl- French colonialism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shock a lot dealt with it. Um, and this, uh, and this was just kind of the, for me, like the, the great culmination of all that. I still say Boltrevise her, her best film for me. It's a 1999 movie though. So for talking the nineties, right. It would be there. Uh, but this is just has 
a lot of control to it. This feels very personal. It's a, it feels like a, a effortlessly kind of personal film. Mm-hmm. Um, Isabel Hooper is just, as she almost always is, is just amazing in this role. Christopher Lambert's actually doing okay work. And who, when's that ever happen? Um, I feel like there's a whole series of movies where he's doing amazing things. While Queen plays in the background? Is that what you're, that what you're talking about? Carries <laughs> a pretty elaborately carved sword. But then, like, Adrian, whatever his name is, comes into the yeah. fold. That's true. That's a bummer. Um, but no, so just this is a movie that is is agonizing to watch. It's, it's, just, it's just a... From all sides of... The conflict is just, it's a hard watch. It's its a hard experience, and it keeps itself grounded next to you. Um, and I think this is one of the better films in terms of kind of like painting that role of, of colonialism and, and um, the struggles between identity. Um, it just perfectly captures all of those emotions. Yeah, we're going to talk about white material later also. Um, my number 17 is... Um, a film by Agnes Varda from 2017. Um, by Agnes Varda and J.R., who is a visual artist. It's called Faces Places. C'est des rides, ça c'est beau, hein? C'est le jeu. <laughs> Ce train ira dans plus d'endroits où tu n'iras jamais. Et tu es content. Arrête parce qu'elle essaie de me faire enlever les lunettes. Un visage, c'est beau. Le but, c'est, c'est le pouvoir de l'imagination. C'est juste l'installation de l'échafaudage sur mis autorisation. Alors, si, alors, moi, je vais vous dire quelque chose entre nous. Toutes les amendes, vous pouvez les envoyer à Agnès Varda. D'accord. Tous discutent, quoi. J.R. Jim Ross, right? Jim Ross, yeah. I really... Um... It's funny, when you looked at all these, this is one of the, I, I think I mentioned this to you, I had 18 movies on my list that were just like, these are the movies, like these are all going on my list, and this is one of the ones. Um, I doubted it only because every other list of like the top 20 or whatever movies of the decade all had an Agnes Varda film on them, and they were all, they all had The Gleaners and I, or... Um, Varda by Agnes? I see a lot of Varda by Agnes. No, it's uh, Beaches of Agnes. So with the movie where she kind of goes back to the important places in her life and kind of makes a documentary about like why they're so important to her. Um, those movies feel like actual movies. They feel like documentaries. They feel like the purpose of them has been established pre-filming. Um, you know, um, I write in my little introductory essay one of the, the unifying things themes of my list is intentionality. I had to be able to see what I thought someone was doing on the screen. So I mentioned No Country for Old Men and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago where I think that I thought that the Coen brothers went out, set out to make a different movie and then they got this other movie and it's a great movie but it's just you know, it's just a different thing. I wanted to see like actual considered artistry on, dis- on display in these movies. Faces and Places interesting is because it's almost set up like... Um, Uh, like, uh, not a film. It's set up like performance art that they just went out and and filmed. But clearly, when you watch it, because like all the voiceovers are recorded afterwards, everything's written. There's a lot of humor in juxtaposing what they think is actually. Uh, they're talking about what's happening, um, but 
you know, the way Agnes Varda speaks about things, it's it's all very humorously, and she's obviously considered how she feels about what she did. Um, her and Jr. they just roam the French countryside in this van that also prints um, pictures, and they just put pictures of people up on structures all over the place. And the reason this movie's on my list more so than, you know, what Agnes Varda means as, as, as a filmmaker. And it's one of the things that I think you and I are, you had talked about filling holes. We did, we watched that, like we did that kind of Agnes Varda double feature of, of documentor and, and murmur earlier. Mm-hmm. There's a hole there. I feel like for everybody, maybe not for like Richard Brody or like AO Scott or people like that. But I think but for Owen the Gleiberman. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what Owen Gleiberman's up to. <laughs> He had a lot of really positive things to say about the new Star Wars movie, so I'm not really sure. Um, I think for most people, Agnes Varda is a hole that, like, they just are. She just wants to fill for you, like, because her movies are the most joyful expressions of filmmaking that I've ever seen, ever. Um, I've never seen someone happier to do what they're doing than Agnes Varda is when she's making a documentary about herself. Doing something. Well, she seemed like it's just a bubble of energy. That's just great. And it's, it's, we talked about when we talked last week about uh, the two popes. It's kind of the idea of being life affirming through art. And that's what Faces and Places is. It's just about bringing people, it's a film about bringing people together. And at the end of the movie, she tries to get together with um, Godard, uh, Jean Luc Godard, and he won't see her. Like he, she leaves some pastries out for him, and 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 she, you know, rings his doorbell, and she leaves him a note, and like she's she's scheduled to have this visit with him, but he won't do it, and it becomes like a very happy movie to really, really instantly a very sad movie, but because she's so skilled, she turns it into being about like looking forward even when you're like an old lady even when you're like two years like she'll die i could think a year and a half after this movie gets made yeah, she dies at 19 or um she died this year or last year i feel like it was early no, this year or maybe it was last year. last year um but she was always looking ahead you know what i mean like she wanted to look back she wanted to tie knots you know what i mean she wanted to tie no, off was, these loose this ends year. It was this year it was like april but she was always looking forward. She was always looking to the next project. So even at the end of her life, we get this Agnes by Varda film, which came out this year. I still haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't seen it either. But I'm assuming it's amazing. And I'm assuming you're going to be very happy that you saw it. It's going to make you feel good about good. just everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Um, flip it. Flip it, Mario. Let's see. You, you are 0 for 4. So I should call it? Yeah, I'll call My it. My friend. Tails. You're 0 for... Got it. You're 1... For four. I got it. Okay. I'm going to go first. Um, oh, real quick. We talked about it in episode zero. My number 16 is Paul Thomas Anderson's 2012 film, The Master. Um, I'm not sure what else I can say about The Master that everybody else hasn't been saying for like the last two years or so. And now as, the last couple weeks as it pops up now on everyone's best of the decade list. Exactly. I mean, the master is becoming like the, 
I don't really even know what to call it. Like, people are reorienting themselves to what film is in this decade and saying, like, you know what? The Master's probably as good as we're Well, they've been get. doing that with just Paul Thomas Anderson in general for right. this decade. Like, I'm seeing Inherent Vice and a movie that's on my... We're going to be talking about it a bit yeah. on both this list and in the Pivotal Film podcast. You know, I'm seeing those movies pop up constantly. And it's um, perfectly worthy... Um, it's a cinematic masterpiece. I don't think I understand it yet, and I think that's one of the reasons... I don't think anybody does. I yeah. think it's one of the reasons why it's on this list. Um, it's got two of the top ten performances of the last 20 years in Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, they, it, It's a character study, but it's also not a character study. It is a film exercise, but also every frame of that exercise seems just stuffed with meaning because um, there's a Johnny Greenwood score going on underneath it and there's a there's a shot of Joaquin Phoenix doing something um, in the middle of it and it's, it is an utterly thrilling film experience because it's so inscrutable. You know what I mean? And it just, as the years go by, it just becomes more inscrutable and as the years go by, people haven't even begun to touch this movie. You know what I mean? Like, you know how people... For all of these auteur directors, everyone always tries to kind of redo what, like, that person did. So it's like someone, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson made Boogie Nights. And so a bunch of other younger directors made a bunch of other movies that had a million other people in it. Like, um, Go or, um, what's another movie like Go? 24-Hour Party People is a little bit afterwards. But I feel like that's in the same vein. Dirty Rotten, not Dirty Rotten Scandals, but the one with, like, Christian Slater. Eight heads in a duffel bag? No, it's like the one where very bad things. Oh, very bad things. Yeah. We just put a, a bunch of cast members together and everyone's, you know, big cast members, everyone's going to do a different thing. Um, nobody's been able to crack this nut. You know what I mean? It's, mm. ir, it's irreducible. It is um, inimitable. It is, it's, it's something really special, which is weird. Are you a master fan, JP? I enjoy a lot of the scenes, but I'm, you know, like you say, it's inscrutable. Um, yeah, the ending, I don't, it felt just strange to me, but so many powerhouse scenes in it. I, I can, I can get by just on scenes, you know? Right. Like, and like Amy Adams. I know, she doesn't get That scene, that scene when she like rubs him out, you know, like. Rubs him out. <laughs> yep. Um, that's pretty great. Uh, you know the uh, the interrogation scenes or uh, the interviews. So much good stuff in there. Yeah. So I I'm a fan, but <sighs> I think we talked about the time like after seeing Inherent Vice, or like between the master and this, it seems like you know Anderson's going up his own ass. I think was your <laughs> quote a little bit. That was the immediate take. Well, the only person I think in this group still who loves Inherent Vice. Well, I I don't mind Inherent Vice, but I do think I think the Masters, um, not as. I don't want to say anything because I know we're going to talk about other stuff. So, but I think the Master is something different. Yeah, I mean, but Inherent Vice, like any time it was on cable, I get sucked in. I. I'd I'd be watching it. It's again great collections of scenes, but I don't yeah. know how how it adds up. Mm. I just mm. I've always just found Inherit Vice fun. Just oh, it's a good time. Fun. 
But I think it could have been funner if everything had gone the way it was supposed to go. No, that's fair. Um, conversely, not oh. fun. Oh, what are you doing? I wasn't I sure. My number 16. I'm getting so excited over here. Um, my number 16 is a movie that I'll just touch briefly on because it's obviously on your list as well. Um, re, it is also a movie we talked about just a couple months ago on my list, and we talked about this director last week. It is the 2000 and two films, City of God. Nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. Rio de Janeiro, The Beach, The Nightlife, The Romance. But 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. City of God. By Fernando Marielis. Um, beyond everything I've said, uh, in the pivotal film episode, um, it is a staunchly, like, perfectly crafted film. But most importantly, I think it's one of the more culturally significant films, and that's like kind of a, an early introduction um, that would kind of then explode in, in film um, with things like Cartel Land or even like Sicario. Um, the the kind of like in, the real deep dive into uh, yeah. South American or you know um, Mexican going South American Hispanic uh, drug culture. And well, you this know was what? That real deep dive into that sort of type of crime film. A movie we didn't talk about when we talked about City of God was um, Gomorrah, mm-hmm. which I think is like a direct descendant of like City of God. Oh yeah, Gomorrah. Gomorrah tasted this list as well for me. Oh really? Yeah, I thought about it too. Thirty ish. Yeah. Yeah, this movie set the pace for, like, the, the gringy, dark crime films that would come. And my computer keeps shutting off at random intervals for no real reason. It, no, it's plugged in. It's plugged in. I don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just, I, I found this to be a a film that is stunningly um, world-changing in mm. what it does for cinema. Agreed. Uh, I, right. I assume we'll talk about it. Yeah, we're talking about. I'm gonna unplug it, and maybe that actually. Be all right, I'm flipping it. Call it. Uh, Tails. It is hands. Oh boy, the tides are turning. All right, um, you go. We'll snake it. Nice. So. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. Nice. <laughs> um. You just talked about what you felt was the kind of quintessential Paul Thomas Anderson film of the decade. And now we talk about what I feel is the quintessential Paul Thomas Anderson film of the this decade. Um, one of my two Paul Thomas Anderson films that will show up on this list it is the 2017 Phantom Thread.
Uh, can't really talk too much about this from a personal level, um, because this is a movie we will be talking about when we come back from our break. A couple weeks, yeah. In a couple weeks on the pivotal film list for me. Um, but in terms of a film, it is, until its last 15 minutes, a, a perfect yeah. motion picture. Um, well, I feel as though it has yeah. a near perfect motion picture. It has a, a perfect ending of spoon pointing. Which, if that movie had ended there, I, oh it God. may had poss- it may have possibly, you know, took my number one pivotal For spot. all of the perceived flaws that I now understand about it, even still, if it had ended there, I would have fucking lost my mind. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the movie that follows, the, the next ten minutes are still good, but it does diminish everything that occurs before it. Um, as we talked about on the score episode, it is... Bar none, one of the greatest scores in film history for me. I I know you disagree, but I still listen to Fab Ten Free um, constantly. Uh, I listen to just, you know, everything mm-hmm. about this. I just, uh, I, I breathe and live this movie. Sure. Um, we're, we'll, we'll dig deep into this. I, in February. I think it's fascinating. I think, I think it's going to be perfect, too. I think it's going to be right around Valentine's Day that we talk about this Oh, it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so my number 15, um, as I've, we've already stated, is um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And it's funny that you said um, that this movie is a perfect superhero movie because my first sentence of my blurb is, the major takeaway from this movie, as far as I'm concerned, is fuck superhero movies. Because it fucks superhero movies. No, is fuck superhero movies. Because it doesn't Jenna Hayes superhero movies. This is not (laughs) one of four I'm going to make today. I'm just going. You're like you've got a list in your head of (laughs) of opportunity. Um, clearly it's a superhero movie because Spider Man movie. Um, but it and a Spider Pig movie. It does not belong at all to the pantheon of superhero Mm. movies. It supersedes all of those movies um it um through animation through choice and this is the one time on my list that i'm going to get remotely um political through its i'm going to say i'll say it and then I'll, i'll 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 hedge it um through its inclusivity um, it becomes something like totally new for this culture. It is. I have read many articles and think pieces by many different people who have a lot of weird cultural problems with the nature of this movie and about that inclusivity. Um, but it, Armand White. Articles? No, like lots of like New Yorker things about how like there's not enough screen time for Miles, about how his father doesn't get enough screen time, how. The villain is still like a, a, a an African American that's subordinate to like a white you know a, a white American you know in Prowler and Kingpin and um, that stuff to me doesn't matter because what you are confronting in Spider Man Into the Spider Verse is like a new paradigm. They're inventing a new paradigm, or they're not inventing anything. They're they're drawing everyone's attention to like a new paradigm in culture and so if i think i firmly believe if hillary clinton had been elected president in 2016 
this movie would have been considered like a celebration of that stuff. But since Trump is got elected, this movie almost reads like a confrontation of those types of politics. It is um, literally saying no matter who is trying to like crush you, literally crush you. I mean, literally like wrap you up in like a kingpin bear and hug kingpin and fucking kills, crush you. Kingpin kills people by punching him. It, you get up and you do what you got to do and you take care of yourself and, and, and it's um, affirmational in like the best possible way. It is, it is, I can't, I'm, I don't know what song you're talking about. I'm assuming it's not the Post Malone song. It's not Sunflower that you it's, have on your, Sunflower. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. You're just, just pumping like away sun, with Sunflower. I like Sunflower. Um, I like Post Malone. Can't help myself. Um, he was Spotify's, most played artist of 2019, so. Which is crazy. Um, what's up, Danger? That's Barkley. That, we talked about it last year. I'm ignoring you. That, that scene where What's Up, Danger is playing, and he's, and he's is one of the pivotal scenes, I think. It's going to be one of the pivotal scenes of the century. It oh, is, no. I, I'd agree, like, the post is a, talk about. It is a full, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. You have to, no one thinks you're actually like listening like slowly, really slowly, just like lifting weights to Post Malone. Are you? No, I, it's literally it is on my workout playlist. That's the one you were talking about. Yeah, I'm oh, not okay. lying. I also have like a lot of ridiculous songs on my workout playlist. <laughs> I have Paradise by Coldplay on my workout playlist. There you go. On that note, Millennium by Robbie Williams is on my workout playlist. Oh, Robbie Williams is great. He takes the skin off in that video. It's fantastic. All right, who's flip it? Flip it. Oh, hits. Look at this. What's happening? Oh, Three did I four. get it? Yeah. Oh man. I feel like I should go. Okay. My number fourteen, Mario, is a movie that we've been trying to talk about for the entire time that we've been doing this podcast. Dark City. That's from the 90s. <laughs> no, not Dark City. Um, it is from Lynn, Lynn Ramsey, 2002. It's uh, Morvern Keller. Mm. Some velvet morning when I'm straight I'm gonna open up your gate And maybe tell you about Phaedra And how she gave me life Um we did our Lynn Ramsey episode, and neither of us had had a chance to see this movie, so we didn't see it. And I've been kind of slowly bringing it up every once in a while. Off air, when we we took a break real quick, um, you talked about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You've you've watched it like a number of times. I've watched Morvern Collar as many times as in a way to extract from it just the... The density of meaning within this film, within every single Lynn Ramsey movie. You know what I mean? This is just 
I, I feel like sometimes when you make a list like this, like you just want to be representational. And this is, I feel like, the most Lynn Ramsey movie that there could possibly be, where the um, intertextual references, like just to itself, is beyond any other film I've seen, like in the last 20 years. Um, I feel like there needs to be an essay written about the relationship to when she walks into work that afternoon listening to Nancy Sinatra sing um, Some Velvet Morning to the later episode, the later moment, a couple of, I don't know how long it is later, when she cuts up her 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 boyfriend who had killed himself in their apartment and she's just left him there. And she's, you know, laid next to him and she's like held his hand and then she's discovered that he, you know, she's opened the Christmas presents he got for her. It's a mixtape and other stuff and then she discovers his novel that he was writing and she deletes his name and she puts her name on it and she sends it out for submission and then she just hacks his body up in the bathtub and she's while she's doing and she's naked and she's got her she's got a walkman taped to her body and she's got sunglasses on and she's listening to the velvet underground just the word velvet everything in this movie points to that relationship between those that one word and those two songs and where in a movie where the songs are intentional they mean something they're not just like there for effect or for like a beat or for you know to keep something the lyrics mean something the tone means something everything means something there's a relationship to that thing this film it's the most literary film i think on this list and that is, uh, you know, Lynn Ramsey's amazing. She's almost, if Ratcatcher had come out a year later, she would have had one of the most stellar, like, 20 years in the history of films. You know what I mean? Every single one of her movies would have been something significant. Listen, when Lars von Trier pays tribute to you, yeah. you know you... <laughs> he doesn't like anybody. Yeah, you know you've done something. Um, but this is, I mean, this is... This is really an exceptional movie, and it is on Amazon Prime right now, and anybody can go watch it. And it is slow, and when it is not playing music, it's not doing anything, but it is fucking amazing. Yeah, it's it's a brain worm. It's one of those brain worm movies that just kind of like digs deep into you. Well, it's got so many. It's so it's so hypnotic and um intentionally so. And there's like all these dance sequences and music sequences and and stuff, and those are hypnotic too. But there's all these scenes like. When she leaves that party late at night and she's just standing in front of that lake or that pond or whatever, and it's just misty and it, you know, having watched all that Lynn Ramsey shit, she just, you know, loves water. And there's all these bath sequences. There's things that happen in baths in Lynn Ramsey films that are just like, wow, what is well, what like, happened in the this bath? Is the thing, and I would, I would, I would argue this is just like Lynn Ramsey has a person. And like this podcast is basically. The Lynn Ramsey, Lars von Trier podcast now, but like you, Claire Denis too, yeah, and Claire Denis. You look at um, things that she does with water, and you see that repeated in the same kind of tones throughout directors, like Jennifer Kent in Nightingale, mm. like when you know uh, I can't remember the character's name, but she's kind of like comes out of the water, kind of like reborn. Like that has so many of those Lynn Ramsey elements mm-hmm. to it. Um, you know, more like Ratcatcher than more of a collar, but just this. Language. I don't have any Lynn Ramsey films on my list. I was really shocked when that ended up happening. But just this, she has a, a language to her films that is, I think, the most well-defined kind of like. It's 
well, so her vocabulary in terms of like, yeah, she has ex- you, the expectations in her films are almost always realized in the movie in some way. And I would argue even over someone like Paul Thomas Anderson, where her and Claire Denis, their movies look like something. Mm. And if it if it's not a camera thing, or if it's not a sound thing, or like a or a, or a you know uh, like a script point or something like that, it is. Um, the way it feels and the way it like acts, the way it functions. You know what I mean? And there's not a lot of directors you can say that about. We're like, I can watch how this movie functions and know exactly who made this movie. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think you would, if Brie went into a coma for 10 years and saw four films, very similar. One of them was directed by Lynn Ramsey. I think both of us could pinpoint the Lynn Ramsey film. Let's do that. I'm very sleepy. So I would, I would vote for coma. Donald Trump will probably still be president somehow. <laughs> um, my number 14 is another pivotal film that we're going to talk about uh, from me. We've talked about it once already, though, because hmm. it was on your list. Hmm. Um, but we're going to talk about it in still quite a while on my end. Uh, it is the 2005 film from David Cronenberg, A History of Violence. One win and run, coming right up, boys. Bye. Hey, Mr. Stahl. Hey, Jared. movie to me we're talking about powerhouse performances uh this features one of the strongest supporting performances i believe of all time in terms of a supporting performance that is an extended cameo uh in william hart's um Ooh. richie cusack who's just jesus i'm gonna be jesus honest. joey jesus joey i'm gonna be honest with you i say that to my kids all the time they don't know what i'm talking about you know what? This is. I'm gonna be honest. This this movie like changed my life, and we'll we'll talk about that. All, you know, in the months, year to come. Um, but it is it is a so feels like such a typical sort of quasi revenge film, but every palpitating beating moment of it has some sort of greater visceral purpose. And it is one of the most visceral experiences. Um, You know, the sex scene on the stairs to the first shootout um, in the uh, diner. You know, everything about this movie beats with a certain sort of rawness. And it's one of the most raw movies I've seen. And there's, you know, like a lot of people try to say that Gaspar Gaspar Noe, is, is like a raw filmmaker, like climax is popping up at everyone's top of the decade or top of the year list, which is confusing the fuck out of me. Like what? 
Climax? Oh. Possible. <laughs> well, shit. I don't get it. Um, it, it, it I'm going to be honest with you. I don't get it either. It, it feels... It's just it's just it just there. feels like a... So it's, it, it's last black man in San Francisco for you. It's like how a last bit, black yeah. man in San Francisco is kind of just... I rewatched that and it just keeps going up. Yeah. Um, but whereas people look at him or like a Takishi Miyake or a Seon so, uh, Sono and see like or Park Chan-wook could see like a real aggressive rawness like this is this at Eastern Promises is a dual feature or like kind of the most raw aspects of like masculinity stripped away and not like this strong armed masculinity but like this really vulnerable masculinity because he's still right. you know Tom Viggo Morms is probably second best performance behind Eastern Promises for me is, is, is a masculine person but just ripped purely away of of these, you know, the, these kind of like structures, or um, he's just completely refined down to his base. Well, and it's a base movie. It's funny. I love the idea of Cronenberg making like a family drama that has like this other stuff like attached to it, mm. because in a way, it is Cronenberg like stripping everything he does away? Also, like he doesn't have any of his trademark stuff. Uh, there's some body to like, horror to like the, the structure of the body. Definitely is some body horror. But it comes kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. And so for most of the movie he can't lean on it. For most of the movie he just has to lean on the relationship between Viggo Mortensen and Maria Bello to kind of carry the unease. You know what I mean? To carry what would normally be body horror is becomes like the sex scene on the stairs. Becomes like them, him not sharing things with her. You know this, what I mean? I thought this might make your list. I'm guessing it doesn't. No, no, no. no. Or is it like anywhere in the contention for you? I didn't really think about it, but it's not because I didn't. I don't love it. It's just because I other things did other things. Mm, that's fair. I was, I was curious who's, about what it does. Who's you are it? Oh yeah. I'm gonna call tails. It is tails. Ah, oh. uh, I will go. This is another film that we will talk about on my pivotal list very soon. Um, about, well, with us taking this long break, about two months now. Uh, it is another film that kind of exhibits rawness to me, um, but it's theatrical rawness in a sense, if that makes any sort of logic, um, in the sense that it was based on a play. Uh-huh. Uh, it is the 2004 Mike Nichols film, Closer. And so it is The shorter story No love, no glory No hero in her sky I can't take my Can't take my eyes off you. I can't take my eyes off you. I can't take my eyes off you. I 
Love closer. <laughs> just like you just made this face of like I didn't think it was gonna be on your list, but you love closer. I do. I do love closer. And um you know, three really strong leading performances and Julia Roberts. Um who's actually good in this, which makes me uncomfortable which makes me unhappy. If you know anything if if you know me at all, you know that Julia Roberts is not a person I enjoy. Well, they tried this Julie Roberts Clive Owen thing again, and it didn't work as well. What was that? Which one's that one? That was the wow, that Tony Gilroy movie. Hmm. Um, Duplicity was it? Oh, maybe I, I forget I, what it was. Maybe a movie that just kind of disappeared. Um, <laughs> it definitely disappeared. But you know, this is this film's just a series of conversations. Uh but all of them work so well. And, mm-hmm. and this, I, I was talking earlier about um, an actor who's not... Actually, I was talking about this last week, about an actor who has not a lot of extreme talent, but a lot of charisma. Uh, when I was talking about Ryan Reynolds, and Clive Owen is also that actor to me. And mm. this is like Clive Owen on fire um, in this. Like, I appreciate your honesty. Now go fuck yourself. Oh, it's yeah, one of fantastic. The, best delivered lines ever are the scene where he's just for no real reason except to demonstrate that he's just as much of a monster as the rest of the cast is kind of just tearing apart Natalie Portman as she dances like in front of him he's but he's he's just treating her like shit when he doesn't have to my favorite thing about this movie is Clive Owen's half smile through like all, all the worst parts of this movie Clive Owen feels like he is letting out some demons during this um that like make me uncomfortable. You got a nomination to an extent, yeah. Like him and Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman's great in this, uh, and Jude Law playing like one of the most just despicable kind of human beings to be put on film in the past two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's just you know for a film that's not doing a lot in terms of action, that's just you know room scenes, scenes in a room of two people talking. Oh yeah, it's just, just fucking. Yeah, it's it's on fire. Yeah. It's it's more doing you know, a lot of people love that um Oh man, I can't remember the name of it now. The Roman Plansky movie that was based on the really famous play. James Gandolfini was in it, Kate Winslet, Christoph Waltz. Carnage? Oh yeah. yeah Carnage? Yeah, yeah. Like people like kinda of lost their shit of Carnage, but Carnage feels like a pale um imitation of like the energy mm-hmm. in closer and closer is just like this this wrong performance and it's the, the film for me that is like this and maybe dogville are kind of the two films of the past 20 years and dogville kind of flirted with my list too um that are just kind of like stage performances on screen that just work that just they pass that test and become real cinematic experiences uh-huh. um yeah, I can't. I can't yawning about boredom out of closer. No, I'm just, I'm tired of reading manuscripts. Um, I actually can't wait to talk about closer 
and to like watch it fully again and kind of get into it because I remember like enjoying it way more than I thought I should enjoy it. Like that was the t- my takeaway from Closer when I originally and, saw. And a lot of our friendships based upon your confusion about how much I love Closer. It's just one of those movies. I think we both have these movies where you've commented on a couple of my movies. I remember like specifically, like you said that can't be your favorite movie to like a movie like on my list. Like that can't be. And yeah, like Closer is one of those movies. Like I get it. Like Closer is really cool. But it just—it's. I love how much you like it. <laughs> because this is like what a JP. It blew me away when I saw yeah. it. I've always seen it the one time, but I was like, "This is just fucking good." That's just evil. No. Like, but like in a really fun, and maybe actually you can't say closer is fun anymore. I mean, Brady Snell's would back us up. We'll email him, copy this episode. He'll <laughs> he'll tweet us. Um. My uh, number 13, I don't know how much time we need to talk, spend talking about my number 13. My number 13 is the 2018 film uh, Widows. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. And because it's about my life, it now becomes about yours. By Steve McQueen. Uh, we've literally talked this movie to death. God, this is weird how this is working out. With you saying a director and I'll say a director. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go crazy here. Again, you can listen to uh, our pivotal film episode where it's Mario's um, pivotal film, or you can listen to our best of 2018 episode, or you can listen to our review, or you can listen to our review. So we did you can a lot. Basically, see a slow evolution of our opinion of right. Widows. I just want again this uh, uh, for the people making the list. I'll point out um, Brian Tyree Henry, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Kaluuya and Elizabeth Debicki as giving three of the best performances um, of the last 20 years in this film. Um, this film is probably, although I didn't put it on there for cultural reasons, it is probably the single most culturally relevant film um, that I have on my list. Literally everyone should see it. It is political. It is spiritual. It is capitalist. It is... Um, it's a you know a thriller. It's a heist movie. If you really have to call it a heist movie, um, but it's also just a character study in people who just are run out of options and are also trying to reestablish their identity as the thing that they want it to be in a climate where um, you don't get to choose what your identity is. Other people get to choose what your identity is. So um, yeah, widows number thirteen. You have the coin right next to your headphones, everybody. You ready? I'm ready. Heads. It's tails. Oh, okay. Oh. I'll go first. Okay, good. Because my number 12 is the 2013 Steve McQueen film, 12 Years a Slave. I want to ask you what part of the country you come from. I originate from Canada. I guess where that is. Oh, I know where Canada is. I've been there myself. Well, travel for a slave. Solomon Northup is an expert player on the violin. I was born a free man, lived with my family in New York. Be good for your mother. Until the day I was deceived. To Solomon. Kidnapped, sold into slavery. (laughs) 
boy. How you feel now? My name is Solomon North. I'm a free man. And you have no right whatsoever to detain me. You're no free man. You're nothing but a Georgia runaway. Went down to the river Jordan. And that servant that don't obey his lord shall be beaten with many stripes. That's scripture. The condition of your laborers, it's all wrong. They're my property. You say that with pride. I say it as fact. Speak! Man does how he pleases with his property. You come here. I say come here! Days ago, I was with my family in my home. Yep, that was on my... It was very close to being well, the second you, Steve McQueen it's film. It's ridiculous that you've said, like, Master led into Phantom Thread, and now <laughs> Widows leads into 12 Years a Slave. Um, did you have... Is, is, uh, you don't have Widows to, is not on my Okay, list. so did yeah. you have, like, a big... I Widows, almost put two Steve McQueen films on my list. Yeah, same thing for me. Um, I think, objectively, 12 Years a Slave is the better movie. I didn't put it on because there's another movie on that I think does it like a little better. Okay. But my problem with this was I, I was like, I could literally put every Steve McQueen movie on this list in the same way. Like, like Claire Denis, Lynn, same Lynn thing Ranzi, with, Claire Denis, and just Steve McQueen. And I could just do, I could, I could do all of them and it would all be, be fine. Films, yeah. Probably. People would be, what's anyone going to say about that? Not a lot. They like, I don't know. Like shit, I don't know. Shame's just really not a very good film. No, 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 no one's saying that. No. Um, but yeah, from um, beyond Brad Pitt, because Brad Pitt's the one role I'm I'm not infatuated with in this. Uh, yep. He's he's still trying to do like Quaker work. Like I think he's trying to his performance is is more in the tone of what he like expected the Quaker to be. But um, just from everything else, the, the you know the Sean Bobbitt cinematography is just masterful. Um, Michael Fassbender playing. Just a despicable human being, and just you know, this is—I'd already been a a Steve McQueen guy. I mean, I remember we were talking about this when I worked at the bookstore, um, being excited about this movie because I was a big Hunger guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Hunger was great, um, and also a big Shame guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I when I first saw this, I didn't respond to it. I still don't necessarily respond to it emotionally. But it's still a powerful feature, and it's it's one of the more like, just just emotionally draining experiences. Oh my god! Yeah, um, it is it is a tough film. It's like one of the toughest films to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, like even in the moments where he has hope of like escaping and getting out, you know, you're still just kind of ratcheted with having to deal with Lupita Nyong'o being stuck there and the guilt of everyone else being stuck there. Yeah. Um, you know, it is it is a raw distillation of like the perfect raw distillation of of that period. You know, people always like would mention roots or whatnot being like the culturally relevant experience. This just blows that out of the water by being a true raw examination of how fucking awful we are as people. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I. The only reason this isn't on again, the other movie that was on is on my list instead of this movie for. Roughly the same reason that the other movie asks. I don't want to say deeper questions. I don't want to say it's, it can't be more relevant questions. Um, it just has different questions and questions that I feel like go largely unexplored in film um, or largely unexplored everywhere, um, at least honestly. So, um, but this was this was 
if we do an honorable mentions thing at the end, and I don't think we need to because we're just taking forever to do this. Um, this was going to be one of my ones where it just it was really tough for me to not put this on there and put the other one on. Um, my number twelve comes from a different place and is. <laughs> It's a different thing. It is uh, Greta Gerwig's 2017 film, Lady Bird. I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go where culture is, like New York. Or at least Connecticut or New Hampshire, where writers live in the woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. What she did was very baller. It was very anarchist. Put the magazine back! <laughs> she has a big heart, your mom. She's warm, but she's also kind of scary. You can't be scary and warm. I think you can. Your mom is. So, you're not interested in any Catholic colleges? No way. I want schools like Yale, but not Yale because I probably couldn't get in. <laughs> you definitely couldn't get in. That's surprising. I um, did not expect that to be on your list. I thought it was going to be much higher, but it's 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 number 12. Um, if you've been following the podcast, and I know this is like a stupid thing to say because I don't know. I'm not sure who follows this podcast. I have the one guy from the UK been bringing up Lady Bird the person from Egypt. Yeah, I've been bringing up Lady Bird a lot um, over the last like several months or so because it's it's like really stuck in my head, and so I've gone back to watch it a bunch of times. And I think what Lady Bird does more than better than lots of movies it is. I'll draw the comparison to Columbus. Okay, Columbus. I think we both agree is visually like visionary. You know what I mean? He's got a he's got an aesthetic he's working on, and he's creating some amazing shots that just have a ton of a ton of meaning. That's one way to expect from a video essayist. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think one of the things that Greta Gerwig is we're going to find out that she's best at is she is emotionally visionary. She has s- created one of the um, most profound emotional experiences. Um, I've seen on film in a long time and it has nothing to do with um, like high school and like oh emotions are raw or whatever Um, you know all that other stuff just the stereotypical stuff it has to do with um, in the same vein as 35 Shots of Rum where we've it's a movie depicting a point in time where everything is different Everything is changing. That's actually really good. Yeah, it is. Maybe we should pause really quick to do... My number 12 is Lady Bird. It is an amazing... No, 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 okay, just, just we'll do it after this. Um, where everything is changing, it's... You can literally feel the three main characters in Saoirse Ronan, Tracy Letts, and... Um, oh, why am I forgetting her name, too? Um, because it's 11 o'clock at night. Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf, yeah. Um, I kept going to think of Lauren Holden. <laughs> and Bernie Feldstein was in my head. Yeah. Um, they're literally the three of them are becoming simultaneously three different people. And it's it's not three different instances. Even though Lady Bird is living her own life, um, her mother and father are living their own life, the uh, impetus for their change is that Lady Bird is getting older. 
and she's growing up and she's leaving home and she's becoming a different person. And it's not just something that they all have to adjust to together. They're all adjusting simultaneously to different things because they all have their different expectations of who this person was going to be and is supposed to be and is. And it is one of the, it's one of the most human films that I've seen in the last 20 years. Um, I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves for being that. Although I think it does get, I think it will be one of those movies that like, like the master as years go by, people will just be like, kind of like how I have been in the, over the last two years since I've seen it, that Ladybird is just becomes like the, like a touchstone film that you just I, kind of are just like, well, just, I believe Lady it's going to be like similar to, to the graduate in a way of, of mm. capturing kind of like a thought process of a generation. That's, that's, yeah, that's a good way to look at it too. I think, I think a lot of, and even though she's much, it's portraying a person who is much older than new millennials. I think new millennials will come to this film, maybe not looking for guidance, but looking for reassurance that like everything's going to suck for like a large portion uh, for a very significant time at a very significant time in your life. And you just have to, you just have to roll with it. You have to know who you are and just roll with it. And again, those are, those are, are, are themes directly related to the film, but from a broader standpoint, um, and which we're going to explore, like, as I get deeper into my list, it's just, it's really touching a kind of true humanity. It's not just a it's it, it's a movie that's kind of more than like a movie. It mm. illustrates something more than a movie. Um before we do I flip we flip for number 11. JP brought this Still Hill? Still Hill Brewery, Rocky Hill, Connecticut, The Nut on the Hill, Northern English style brown ale. It is very tasty. Delicious. JP, a few words. I first encountered it at a, the newly reopened Trinity Bar. And on tap, Trinity. it's really delicious. <laughs> come back too. So I made a trip up there a month or two ago, and could only get crowlers of it. Mm-hmm. They were ridiculously expensive. And happened to be up there yesterday, and said, "Are you ever gonna can this?" They said, "Actually, we're putting them out there for the first time today." So I bought a couple four packs because I remember just a week or two ago listening to you guys talk about. Come on, it's winter. You know, get away from the IPAs. Drink a stout. Drink a porter or a brown ale. Brown ales before the whole IPA thing happened were my thing. I the, love brown ales. It, it calling itself the nut on the hill is is wildly appropriate because this is an extremely nutty brown. Oh. That's what you want from like a brown ale. It's just like an extreme nutty. I haven't had anything from Still Hill. They've been popping up a lot lately. I've been noticing mm-hmm. them around, and this is a sign of things to come. Paint me. Impressed. It's very delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, I love a brown ale. People don't make enough brown ales. All right, I'm going to flip. So this is it. This is the last one of this episode. Yeah. Um, number 11. I'm going to flip it. Tails. It is tails. You go first. Okay. Because I think, I think my number 11 will be a little divisive for divisive? you. Divisive? Okay. Mine won't be because it was already on your pivotal film list. My number 11 is uh, Ali Fullman's uh, Waltz with Bashir.
אני מתעורר. אין לך אף פעם פלאשים מלבנון, לא חלומות, לא זיכרונות, אתה אף פעם לא חושב על זה? לא. לא. After the 1982 invasion of Lebanon, I lost my memory. Now, in order to remember, I'm looking for those who can never forget. Was your... your did I introduce you to this? No, 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 no. no. Um, I know not from the purple list. I just don't know if I introduced you to this as, like, a friend. Oh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it's possible. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember, though. Um, this just barely missed my list. It is um, an animated memoir. You know, not a documentary, but an animated visual memoir about um, Ali Froman's time spent as an Israeli infantry soldier during the Lebanon War. Um, we talked about this a lot during your your episode. Um, I'm, I wrote about it here a lot. Was it, my, it was my episode zero. It was your episode zero, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, the animation... I have three animated movies on my list. It's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and this and then another one. I have two. Um, and one, three. I have three also, but one of them is kind of animated. I mean, I could... This one, I guess, conceivably, you can like call kind of animated, but... It's one of those things where, and this is a lot to do, this relates a lot to the Lynn Ramsey, this, um, you know, or the Claire Denis stuff. The animation is on purpose. The animation is not a gimmick. The animation is representative and um, illustrative of a feeling. And there aren't, so Richard Linklater made two movies like this. Scanner Darkly and... And Waking Life. Okay. That are not, that are, the animation is... Um, illustrative of nothing. It's a gimmick. It has no value. It has, no, and gimmicks, it has no cinematic thing. value at all. Um, this has all the cinematic value. It is because of the animation and because the animation is that's not animated documentary footage is so perfect, like we talked about, the vision he has. It's like one of the single most worthy visions of the last 20 years. It is, it is a haunting image of those soldiers rising out of that water to see like the sky just lit up with explosives and um, against, against the dark moonlit sky. It's, it's, it's totally breathtaking. Um, this movie doesn't show up here. If this, and if the animation was not perfectly representative of the um, separation of memory, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where you just can't confront the things that you need to confront. If it wasn't representative of um, like the way he's haunted by those memories, you know what I mean? Because it's not people anymore. It's these, it's these loose images, you know what I mean? That are have a strange coloring, um, that have a strange feel, that have that are that are conjured up at strange angles. It is um, an amazingly powerful war story, but it's also an amazingly powerful example of how just like in 24 frames how you can manipulate the medium to to expand the ideas that are inherent to the story that you're telling um and it's it's a it's a fascinating movie but it's also an unbelievably powerful and 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 moving film um i i and you know i don't know why anyone hasn't seen it at this point it's been nominated for everything at one stuff jp come on get it together jp what he do? He said he didn't see it. Oh. But he brought the beer, so we forgive him. Yeah. 
So my number 11, I had a hard time putting it on here. Um, but for me, this was the performance of the past 20 years. Um, the film itself is, is good. It's, it's re- I enjoy it a lot. Um, I think its director is, bar none, probably one of the worst directors of the past 20 years okay. in terms of the features he's been putting out. Um, but this performance for is is the hallmark of, of acting and, and stands to me as um, he actually probably has this. This man has my number one and number two performances of the decade. Um, his number two performance being his Harvey Milk. But his number one performance being his James Markham. My number 11 is Mystic River. Hey, Divine. What you looking at? The old neighborhood. There are places that make us who we are. Save! I used to play on the street when I was a kid. Really? Moments that give us hope. Do not make her laugh. Where have you been? Feelings that make us question our beliefs. Fears that trigger our darkest emotions. It's my daughter's car. He sent my daughter in there! He sent my daughter in there! Oh, God! For a couple seconds on Saturday, she looked at me like she was preparing to never see me again. You don't think I'd have heard her, do you? She isn't hurt, Brendan. She's dead. I loved her so much. I know in my soul I contributed to your death, but I don't know how. Uh, it's only divisive because I took it off my pivotal film list, and you were like, <coughs> "Good." Yeah, I've I've come back to this several times, and you know, I I I hate Clint Eastwood. I, I have have we talked about this enough on this podcast about my opinion of Clint Eastwood? <laughs> we're gonna have to confront it for real in <laughs> in a month or so. Yeah, when fucking. Richard Jewell gets nominations. Um, but that sequence, just both when he's, you know, about ready to kill um, Dave in, in the river, but more so when he's screaming out, you know, is that my daughter in there? And, you know, Kevin Bacon, for once, is, is not, like, hey, hey, doing too much stuff. Like, Kevin Bacon, like, he's, Kevin Bacon's usually good, but Kevin Bacon's usually doing too much. Like, he's usually, like, putting a little... Too much stank on yeah, the, yeah. the fastball there's, there. Yeah, there's, like, there's just like a little too much energy to his performance. But it's the one time where he's just like not needing to be in the forefront. Kind of has like a William Dafoe problem. And I love William Dafoe, but sometimes William Dafoe like needs to like eat a scene. I don't know what you're talking about. And But it's usually fine because William Dafoe is like a monster <laughs> of like awesomeness. And Kevin Bacon's like just pretty good. And like Kevin Bacon just like knows his place here. And just that scream that he has at the end. You know, he's like yelling and cursing, um, but that scream it's just like, as a person who's never had like kids, I don't think, I'm pretty sure, like that <laughs> made me well, feel like just tears me apart. The only reason this was going to be on my pivotal film list was because of like those three main performances. Yeah. I mean, Sean Penn is unreal. 
Tim Robbins is very good, I think. I mean, I know he won an Oscar for it. I I mean, he's... Tim Robbins is elevated by Sean Penn. He works great here. I'm not 100% sure I, 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 I can see what he's doing, per se. But yeah, Kevin Bacon really kind of holds the movie together, weirdly. Um... By just not being hysterical. Yeah, he's playing the he's playing the very straight man. Yeah, yes. um, and even you get you know a great Lawrence Fishburne, you get a fantastic Laura Linney who almost popped up on my list like a hundred times. Marsha Gay Harden's great, great in it. Marsha Gay Harden's great in everything. Marsha, Marsha Gay Harden. Marisha. Yeah, I know what's saying there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mister, I I really enjoy this movie, and it's it sucks. Like the ending is one of the shittiest endings. <laughs> Like in the history of films, like I mean, not from a maybe not from a film standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, you're just like, ugh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Jimmy, <laughs> what did you do? Yeah, no, I know it's just it, but this this film has its flaws, and its flaws are Clint Eastwood flaws of just like overproducing, overworking. At times, but then at other times, just like not doing anything and being really lazy. But you don't like when the score, the main theme of the score, comes in like after ev- end of every scene. You don't like do, that, don't I? Oh, do it. I? Do you like it? I'm I not just sure. Love it. Um, but beyond that, like in spite of that, you know, Sean Penn and you know Bacon and and Linny to me also just like all, but but just mostly Sean Penn just fucking destroys oh, it's, everything. Yeah, it's great. It's great. All right, That's the end of the first first part. Yep, perfect. We're gonna keep talking, despite the time. Should we do? What, what do you want to do here? You want to? No, you know, we're just gonna. We're not even gonna do a little outro. We're just gonna say, drink a couple beers, see all the movies, movies we just told you to see, and see some new movies. Because yeah. uh, when's this? When's this episode? Is this episode released in, in nineteen or twenty? I think twenty. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I wish you uh, no nineteen. Nineteen. Oh. You know? Wait, no, twenty. Maybe twenty, yeah, because yeah, the bonus episode is yeah. Be the last. Hope episode. you had a good New Year. Yeah, um, and uh, we'll continue your New Year with uh, more talks of the past twenty years. 